Broadcasting from Youngstown, Ohio, this is the MV Red Podcast, the show where we talk about news and politics impacting the Mahoning Valley, the state of Ohio, and the USA. If you want to subscribe to our podcast, find us on your favorite podcast streaming app or visit our website, www.mvred.com. If you want to share your opinion with us, please email info at mvred.com, as we would love to hear from you. Now, let's get things started. Here are your hosts, Michael Metzinger and Dane Davis. Michael, hello. There we are. Thanks, everyone, and welcome to episode 33 of the MV Red Podcast. We're pleased to be joined this evening by U.S. Senate candidate Mark Pukita. So thank you, Mark, for joining us this evening. And we're looking forward to learning more about your campaign and why voters in Ohio, and at least from our perspective, more importantly, I would say Northeast Ohio, why they should give you a look and consider voting for you in the May primary. So thanks so much for joining us this this evening on uh, on our show. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. So I, I want to get right into it. And can you share a little bit about yourself, your your education, your career, uh, and and why you chose to run for Senate? Sure. Um, let me try to uh, get through this quickly because I'm just a pretty normal guy, so my story is probably um, somewhat mundane. <laughs> but I come from a lower middle class family. My parents, uh, my grandparents were. Uh, my grandfathers were both coal miners in northeastern Pennsylvania. My uh, mom and dad had outhouses when they were a kid. Uh, they didn't go to college when they graduated from high school. They went to work. Uh, my dad went into the Navy. Uh, we grew up in a lower middle class neighborhood or neighborhoods as we moved. Um, and uh, But we didn't really uh, notice any difference because everybody around us was in the same kind of socio economic, you know, strata, uh, was fortunate to kind of do what, what I was supposed to do. My, my parents told me to do, you know, stay out of trouble, don't do drugs, etc. do well in school. Um, went to, uh, got to Ohio state, but, uh, got accepted at two Ivy league schools, Cornell and Penn. I won't bore you with why I didn't go there, but it had a lot to do with money and also coming from upstate New York and having to deal with you know, even back then in 75, 76, liberal coasters, as I call them, from like Boston, Washington, Philadelphia, New York, just wasn't the place for me. Great decision going to Ohio State. Uh, I'll be a Buckeye for life. Uh, got out of school, managed to get through school debt-free. Parents helped me, but I also worked three jobs during the summer and work while I was at Ohio State. Um, went into... Uh, Got an electrical engineering degree with honors, went to work for companies in technology like IBM and EDS, and then started my own company in 1996. Sold that company in 1996 or or in uh, 2019, around October. And uh, that's when I decided to run. I never had any desire to run. It wasn't on my bucket list to be in politics. When you talk to me, you'll figure out I'm not a politician. I'm a business person, and I'm a, I guess you'd call it a disruptor. Uh, 
but in October 2019, I sell the business. I realize I've lived the American dream, right? I'm doing better than my my parents did, and they did better than their parents. But as you know, coal mining, you know, coming from a coal mining family, that wasn't hard for them. Um, so I put my nest egg in the bank. I've got some time. Uh, I've got a grandson at that point who's about a year and a half old. And I look at him and I think there's no way he'll live the American dream, have the opportunity to live the American dream that I did if things keep going in the direction we were going in October of 2019. Um, and then I saw Rob Portman at about the same time on TV. And I thought that guy hasn't done a single thing we sent him to Washington to do. So I looked for folks to primary him and no one wanted a primary him because the message was the same from everybody. It would be suicide for a career politician to primary a sitting U.S. senator, which is with as much money and as much clout as Rob Portman. That was the answer I got. And the two words that bothered me the most in that response were career politician. I mean, I despise the fact that we have career politicians. That's not the way it's supposed to work in my mind. It's not what the founding fathers thought we would do. And I think it's uh, career politicians have actually ruined politics and, and, and have contributed to the ruin of our country. So I just decided I was going to run because no one else was going to do it. And uh, it, it, it would seem like a foolhardy thing to do, uh, tilting at windmills, long shot, whatever you want to call it, primarying a sitting U.S. senator. And then lo and behold, he quit. <laughs> he literally drops out, right? Mm -hmm. And people say, oh, we retired. He didn't retire. He quit because he looked at the numbers and he realized Ohioans don't like him. I mean, you know, Mike DeWine is the most despised Republican in Ohio. Rob Portman is like right there. So uh, he quits. And then and then the now it's a Kentucky Derby field. Right. I was the only I'm the only person in the field that decided that I was going to primary a sitting U.S. senator like Rob Portman. And I was doing it. Uh, I wasn't, I don't do anything not to win. I don't think anybody does. I knew it was a long shot, but I wanted to make him earn it. I wanted to expose him for not doing anything for Ohio. And then lo and behold, he quits. And uh, now we've got a Kentucky Derby size field or bigger. Um, and there's a stark difference uh, between me and the rest of the field, there's also a stark difference between the business people in the field and the career politicians and wannabes. So it's, it's really interesting. Um, and, uh, I'm doing it simply because I want to serve. Uh, I am, I am as pissed off as anybody else about what's going on in Washington. I'm also pissed off about the corruption in the Ohio Republican party. And I, I, I think we need to have honest discussions People tell me that I'm spending too much time talking about corruption in Ohio, and I, I've thought about it, and it's not really that I'm talking about corruption. It's that I'm forcing us to have honest discussions about things that are important to Ohioans and Americans, and some of those are uh, unsettling for people. And, you know, you start to question and disturb the status quo. You start to question and disturb the nice little hierarchy that's been built over years in the Ohio Republican ecosystem. And people get, get upset. People get angry. And they, and they act out in different ways. Some are vulgar. Some are violent. Uh, 
and then some are passive aggressive. So it's 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 really been interesting. It's been an interesting sociological kind of um, experience. Uh, but but we're, I I am absolutely stone cold serious about this. This is bigger than just me um, getting elected to the Senate. This is a bigger issue. We're trying to save the country. And uh, it's uh, I, I'm catching a lot of flack, but I'm okay with that because I got a thick skin and I really don't care what other people think about me who I don't think have my best interest in, in mind. So if it's not my family and it's not my close friends, I just don't care. Uh, and I think we need more people like me, true fighters, who will call them like they see them in Washington, as opposed to, uh, you know, kind of fakes, actors, caricatures. So that's basically it. So, Mark, I, I have a Mike, can I hop in here? I, yeah, I got go some ahead. questions. Um, so, Mark, first of all, thank you for coming on the show. You're welcome. Um, I, I Maybe I missed it. Uh, where do you live in Ohio? Where are you now? I'm in uh, Northwest suburb of Columbus. Okay. Columbus, Ohio. Okay. Um, Michael's of course in the Youngstown area. I'm in the Cleveland area. Uh, so we're getting all the main areas of Columbus covered. Yep. We just need Cincinnati. Uh, appreciate the story. I, a question I have, well, first of all, I, you know, I'm an investment banker by career. So I got to ask who did you, which investment bank did you pick to sell your company or maybe you did it yourself? That's totally did off topic, but yeah. Did it, did it myself. Smart. Uh, so, so, so we had worked with investment bankers before, and we actually yeah. spent a long time trying to do a SPAC transaction. Right. Two other firms, one in Virginia, one on the, the East Coast near Boston. We were trying to pull that together, and we were really going to like take it public. And you know, they were going to take the SPAC public and then acquire the three companies and basically hit the target you need to hit for the SPAC and then have some capital left over for acquisition. Right. Uh, that fell apart because of the other two companies, uh, financial performance wasn't exactly, uh, what we needed at that time. Uh, it sounded like it was until, until you, until you have to do an sec level audit yeah, uh, and things get real, uh, people can kind of hide things. And we had some issues there. Uh, and, and my two key managers came to me and said, Hey, We'd like to buy the company. They gave me a good valuation, not the best, but good. Protected all the employees, and we and we did. I've had experience with with investment bankers and in doing transactions, so we just did it ourselves and saved the fee. Yeah. Um, they had some advisors. I had a my accountant and, and a great legal team at Voris here in Columbus, and and we got it done. And it was uh, it's been spectacular because. I got what I needed out of the out of the deal, and that's my retirement. And and those two companies are now prospering, and yeah, it really is kind of the American dream kind of thing. Not only for me, but a second generation of, yeah. of company owners. Sure, awesome. and and I just I had to ask right because that's my yep. bread and butter oh, selling businesses. Fine. Fine. So you know, taking a step back, I, <laughs> I think we'll get. I I want to know more about you. Number one, more about the issues. Number two, and then more about what you think, and maybe this is most interesting, the competitors, your the other candidates, and we'll, we'll get to that. But my question is, Mark, and I think you're starting to break through the bubble. It's a, it's a crowded field. I've seen your name pop up a couple of times, but 
why the U.S. Senate? Why not something like a congressman or a state senator or a state rep? Why go all the way for the U.S. Senate? I, I, I respect that, but I'm just curious, right? Right. Um, so I, so it's, it's a good question, and it's an it's a absolutely valid question. So there's a couple of reasons why. First, uh, I'm 63 years old. Right. So it's not like I have a ton of runway, and th this was not on my bucket list. So what I'm trying to do is have the greatest impact in the shortest period of time based on the skills that I've, I've acquired over 63 years. Going to the house is, it was not even a thought. Uh, doing anything in Ohio is not a thought. Doing something in the House is not a thought only because you're one of 435. In the Senate, at least you're one of, of 100, and you can have some impact. You, you might be able to have a lot of impact. Uh, so it's kind of like, Matt, and, and someone might say, well, you're full of yourself, Mark, because you know, you've got to have this and you've got to have that. And I think that's nonsense. I actually think it's bullshit, right? Yeah. That, that you've got to be a career politician, you've got to do this. I mean, let, let's face it. You know, the the um, rules of the Senate are 99 pages, small print, but that's tiny compared to you do you do deals all the time. Yeah, that's I mean, that my the, 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 the documents I had to review line by line for my transaction had to be five times that number of pages. So so uh, it's have the most impact uh, with the skills that I've uh, acquired over that time period based on my age and what I have left and what I want to do. And if it doesn't work out, it, it, it doesn't work out, but it's like win, lose, or draw. This is going to be a success because we're bringing attention to topics that we need to be talking about. We need to be having honest discussions about. So, so I'm the only candidate in the race that will say things like this. The Ohio reporting, Ohio Republican party is completely corrupt and needs an absolute regime change. I do this at my events. I have people raise their hand. I say, listen, who here is aware that there's a, a $2 million accounting inconsistency in the books of the Ohio Republican Party? Bob Paducek, the chairman, is, is fighting hammer and tong along with Treasurer Dave Johnson from having the books audited. And the bylaws of the Ohio Republican Party say that you've got to have the books audited every year. And we haven't had an audit in 16 years. That's unacceptable. And I say, raise your hand and less than 10% typically of the audience raises their hand. And these are engaged Republican voters. These are not, you know, low information, right. only a, a Republican on election day kind of voters. That, and, and it's intentional. That lack of communication about what's going on that radio silence between the party and the grassroots constituents is a problem, and, and we're calling it out. I'm also calling out Mike DeWine. Mike DeWine, Mike DeWine doesn't deserve to be reelected. He deserves to be investigated. And then Rob Portman has failed Ohio. He just has not done what we sent him to Ohio to do. And we need to have honest discussions about this. Listen. Rob Portman, I mean, we've been talking about the Brent Spence Bridge in Cincinnati forever. Boehner and McConnell couldn't get it done. Portman couldn't get it done. Nothing gets done. And and so, uh, you know, 
that, that that's kind of my 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 thing. We we've got to we've got to you know. I want to have an impact. I think I can do it in the Senate. Uh, I would have. I will have a greater impact outside politics if I can't get to the Senate than I would in the House. Let's just put it that way. Right. I want to follow up to, to, to Dane's question, and I think you kind of touched on it with as it relates to Rob Portman. Is it more? inaction on his part or was there a specific vote or votes that just said enough's enough we could do better as republicans in ohio well so that's a good question yeah i i think we've seen since rob so so during the trump administration portman voted against a number of things that bothered me like the emergency declaration for to fund the wall he voted against it he, he voted uh, for the censure, I believe. There were a few things. I forget what they were. Those really bothered me. But now I think we've seen Rob Portman's true colors. Because once he decided he wasn't going to run, he's standing there announcing this bipartisan infrastructure bill, which is 90% crap, okay? 90% money being flushed down the toilet. We're, we're printing money like Venezuela. We're, yeah. we're having shortages of products like Venezuela. And, and Rob Portman is an accessory to that crime, right? He's always been like this, but he's been stealthy about it. And then the other thing that I hear from uh, people around the, the, the state, 88 counties, I've been to them all, is... They never see Portman. I mean, I used to joke about the fact that I will be more accessible in the first month than Rob Portman. And all I've got to do is two town halls because I think he's only done one in the past seven years. I mean, he loves the photo opportunities for the new man, the manufacturing company that's put a new wing on a plant, but he'll never go in front of constituents and take questions. And I'm just the opposite. I expect to be doing that every day via live streams with tools like you use here, Restream and things like that. So I have a question. Or first a comment. I, I completely agree with you. One in the state of the Ohio Republican Party. I think they're just out of touch. Um, they just they're they out don't of have energy. They're, they're they're very corrupt. I would agree with that entirely. <laughs> they're dirty handed in how they pay politics. And look, this is gonna sound just take it for what it's worth. You can get away with a certain amount of corruption if you're keeping the state going. But the fact of the matter is, and you bring this up on your website, Ohio's falling further and further behind. Right. So it's one thing to be corrupt and competent, right? It's another thing to be corrupt and horrible at your job and to be leading things into a malaise. Another point I want to get at that you said that I think really resonates me is that our politicians don't do town halls anymore. I, I don't know what's behind that. Like my congressman here is a Republican. I moved here in 2018. I'm fairly politically active. I have never seen a him in a town hall. Who is it? Uh, uh, Dave Joyce. Dave Joyce is up. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's right. never, don't even get me started on him. Oh, yeah. We don't, we don't <laughs> have to do a, that today. He is, the most, he is the most narcissistic, arrogant, condescending human being I've met in a long, long time. Tell me how you really feel on Dave. <laughs> yeah. But, no, but no. the reality is. Do you realize that his, do you realize that his daughter graduated from law school in 2019? And guess what? She magically gets a job with Rob Portman. 
Right. This right. is the kind of patronage that drives grassroots Republican voters crazy. I hear you. I hear you. And they don't, there's no, there are no town halls. There's no feedback. I mean, I remember 20 years ago, Democratic Congressman Tim Ryan, and I'm not a fan of Tim Ryan, right? This is not, but he would hold meetings in local churches and you would be able to talk to him and meet with him. That was 20 years ago. None of that happens. And the Republicans kind of have, I think they've been riding a lot off of Trump's coattails. Trump reinvigorated the party. He made it resonate with working class uh, Americans. And he reshifted the focus of the party, right? Who gives a damn about capital gains tax cuts when our manufacturing base is being destroyed? So I think he did the right thing. And I think the local Republicans benefited from that. But I think that the, the leadership of the party, and it's not every elected official, but the leadership has just been corrupt and incompetent. So I totally hear you on that. My next question is, okay, what is your vision of like of the Republican Party? So where do you think Republicans are failing? How do you correct it? And, and what makes you stand out from all your competitors, right? Like how are you thinking about issues differently than a J.D. Vance, a Jane Timken, a Mike Gibbons, or a uh, Josh Mandel. So um, everybody in the race, except me, Gibbons, and Matt Dolan, are caricatures, facades, and actors. They're, They're not who they appear. And it's the... It'll be the same thing if people vote for them. You'll vote for them. We all we know based on their history. They've told us who they are by their actions and their words. And then they're going to come and we're going to believe the last act of their play and hit the button for them or, or circle the dot for them. And they're going to go to Washington and then they're going to take off their their you know, costume and they're going to become themselves again. And we're going to like, how did that happen? When we know that James Timken was part of the cover up of this, this $2 million of accounting inconsistency. We know Josh Mandel wasted $1.8 million of taxpayer money with ads with Urban Meyer. And he doesn't really lead the kind of Judeo Christian life that he's professing. We know that Bernie Moreno was a never-Trumper up until 2019, even though he says he's not, and then challenges people to go view the video where in 2019 that we found he's still making fun of Trump. And you can go on and on and on with these people, okay? J.D. Vance. Yes, J.D. Vance. What about J.D. Vance? Okay, so so Matt Dolan is essentially a Republican or or a Democrat in a Republican suit, but I will tell you, I I have a lot of respect for Matt Dolan because what you see is what you get. What he says he believes, and he never, he's not a liar, but he's like way too liberal for the Republican Party. He's not a conservative, okay, but he's also not a liar. And I've told this to him to his face. I mean, I think he was shocked. I said, Matt, I really respect you because you you be, you you have your beliefs and you stand firm and you don't let anybody shake them. Mike Gibbons is kind of the same, except I think Mike has no passion. I really, I don't know why Mike wants to do this because he looks like campaigning and all the rest is a chore for him. For me, it energizes me. I love doing things like this tonight. I think you can tell. 
uh, I get a little too jazz sometimes. Nothing but wrong I'm with that. And all the rest. I think, I think, I'm sorry. You know, you're blunt. You tell it like it is. Yeah. Sugarcoat I, things. I think Mike is, is he's just, I don't see the passion or the drive or the desire in him, but I, I love him to death because I don't think, I think he's honest and I don't think he's, I don't think he's a fraud, but you know, I've thought that about a lot of people. So I'm not suggesting he is. It's just that I don't know him that well. Uh, the only person I know well is myself. And what you see right now is what you get. And, and I think if you uh, dug down to people who work for me, people who worked with me, my family, my friends, you'd figure out this is it. What you're seeing, what you see is what you get. But what, what on the issues, right? So at least this is, I look at, the, and I agree with you about um, Matt Dolan. He's a liberal guy. I think he's a very intelligent guy. I think he's a very honest guy. I have a lot of respect yep. for him. And, and I think he's somebody that would be a great administrator, right? If you, hey, here's the department, run it, run it efficiently. I think he'd do a right. fantastic job there. Right. I carry on that. Gibbons from, I've never talked to Gibbons. All counts as a really nice guy, earnest guy. Um, I agree with you there. Mandel has been in politics for so long. He's, he's a career politician. He's reinvented yeah. himself, right? So he talks yeah, about yeah. how he's a Trumper, but you can find photos of him with like Bill Crystal, who's the ultimate neocon, is now essentially right. a Democrat. And he was really nowhere to be found the last four years. No, he wasn't. And, he's, and he scrubbed his social media. Yeah, yeah. So like Mandel's got his issues. Um, J.D. Vance, now I've met J.D. Vance. And I'll, I'll say this in defense of him. I think he's had, I think he's a guy motivated by the issues. Okay. And I think on the, the populist conservative issues, like breaking up big tech, um, fighting the trade war, uh, you know, limiting immigration. I think he is a true believer on those issues. I think he reluctantly but belatedly came around to Trump's side, right? Because there were a lot of never-Trumper Republicans in 15, 16, Mark Levin being one of them, who are now Trump's biggest fans. So I think he did come around. So I I, I don't know. I'm, I, I have a soft spot for J.D. Vance. And Timken, I think Timken is a smart person. I think she's a very uh, talented woman, but she's just too establishment for my taste. Like, I have nothing against her personally. I think she's very tough, by the way. But I just I, I think she's too tied in with the Ohio establishment, which just makes me a little sick to my stomach because I think the well, state should be doing better. But I don't know. What do you what do you think? So let's talk about Jane first because you just talked about her. Yeah. She, she presided over two things that really bother me. They would bother me if I were just a voter. One is the continuing cover-up of this this $2 million accounting inconsistency Yeah, that I think she inherited from Borges, but I'm not sure. But we need to know where that $2 million went. I'm not suggesting it went into anybody's pocket, but I think Ohio Republican voters would be really angry if they figured out, finally, where that money went. And then I think there's another aspect of that, and that is... If the money went to candidates that we're unaware of, did it show up on their FEC reports? And did it show up on the Ohio Republican Party's FEC reports? It, 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 we should be able to um, adjudicate those, rec reconcile those to figure it out. And, and I, I'm afraid that we've got a bigger problem between the Ohio Republican Party and candidates, either people who are in office right now or were in office, 
than, than just meets the eye. And then there's a question of how much of that money that can't seem to be allocated properly might have gone to state central committee members for their reelection because that's not reported, right? You Because those are non-paying elected jobs. You don't have to report. There's no state secretary of state or FEC reporting on those state central committee races. And I'm like, you know, is it possible that money went to those people to keep them in line? Because if you've been to any state central committee meetings, you realize that it's like Mike DeWine controls that entire thing, but for a handful of people. So, so there's that with Jane Timpkin. And then there's the, um, you know, the ties to like, she was a Kasich bundler. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, we can go back. We, that, that just, that would disturb me as a voter. J.D. Vance, here's what I'd say. J.D., it seems like the minute he made any money, he got the hell out of Ohio. He crapped all over us. And then when Mitch McConnell, and I think it was Boehner, wanted him to run in 2018, he came back. You know, I, I come from the East Coast, and I'm pretty blunt. I'd call that an opportun opportunistic carpetbagger or opportunistic re-carpetbagger or, or something <laughs> like that. And and I'm not sure I'm not sure that he's as committed to those issues as you think he is. I mean, he's being funded by Peter Thiel out in 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 Silicon Valley. Now, yeah. Peter's Peter's a conservative, but of what ilk is he a conservative? Is he a uh, a Jim Jordan conservative? Is he a Mark Paquita conservative, or is he a Mitt Romney conservative? Well, I don't think so. Look, I don't think Peter Thiel is. I think he is a nationalist populist, is how I would describe him. So this is a new faction in the GOP, and and this is a faction that's focused on okay, we need tariffs on Chinese goods. Number one, we need to curb illegal immigration, yes, but also legal immigration. Number two, we need to fight big tech, right? Like it's enough. Trump, at, towards the end of his term, did very little against big tech. Um, we need to focus on. A, a family, a married family should be able to raise children on one income, right? That that should be the standard. And the more we get our economy focused on that, the better. And and these are like the issues that I, I think Peter Thiel, if you look at who he's funded, he is a true conservative. I don't think he's a Mitt Romney conservative at all. I don't think he's a Mitch McConnell conservative at all. I, I think he's a, he's a different, he's not necessarily a Ted Cruz conservative, right? Like the orthodox Reaganite 1980s conservatives. He's a little bit different. He's more populist, but I think it's it's still a conservative viewpoint. But I, I don't know. We can. I do look. I think the biggest weakness of somebody like JD Vance is the carpetbagger claim and the fact that he has seen. It's like this conversion on the road to Damascus with the Trump movement. And I, I hear you, right? Like, I, I think it's genuine, but I can understand why people are very, very skeptical. So I, how, how I get that. We, yeah. How many people have we seen do that, though? And yeah. how many people have we seen slip back? It's like they were never Trumpers, and now all of a sudden they've seen the light. And it seems to me that they've seen the light for, for, for two reasons. One, money, or two, well, maybe three, money, power, or politics, 
And that's troublesome to me. I hear uh, you. And this gets back to what I, I say all the time, that, that people tell us who they are in their actions and their words and their writing. And then we, we, we push that aside. We ignore it. We watch their last act, and I'm using that term specifically, they, their, their last act as an actor, a character, a caricature, a facade. We buy it. We vote for them. They get to Washington. They take off the costume. They don't do what we, we thought they would do. And we're like, why did that happen? And it's yeah. like, we've got all this history. I mean, in business, here's the deal. In business, I don't think there's a single person in business that would say that this is wrong. When you're hiring people, the, the greatest indicator of future performance is past performance. Why should it be any difference in politics? What makes people in politics any different than that? That's totally fair. That's, that's totally fair. Although if you look, even somebody like Trump, and listen, I was a big Trump guy in 15 and 16, pr primarily because of the immigration issue. He was the only one calling out. Uh, he was the hardest one on immigration. That's why a lot of people initially came to him. But 10 years before that, or even 15 years before that, he was a very liberal guy, right? Um, I don't think anyone would describe Trump of 2005 as a conservative. Uh, he kind of got to that place slowly and surely. So it does happen, but you, you, you make a good point. Like, I, I don't want to argue with you too much. I mean, people, I think the big problem with the Republicans, and then I'll turn it over to Mike, is we everybody sounds great when they're running and this you're you're totally right on with this everybody sounds like the dream candidate everybody sounds like the most conservative and then they get elected and then they support um bringing in tons of of immigrants or they turn around like langford and, and oklahoma bringing in refugees right or they turn around and you know they're not there to oppose judges Biden has confirmed more judges in year one since Reagan. That's the fault of Mitch McConnell, right? Um, so I, I, I totally hear you on this, and I respect that. Uh, but I do think conversions do happen. Uh, Mike, I know you had a question. I'm sorry. I, I don't want to keep going. No, I, and we were just talking about the different candidates. And, and, and so we finally had like a third-party poll come out. We had a lot of it internal polls that were pushed again i know dane sent me the lake county republicans were, were pushing that one which i found kind of interesting but it kind of shows nobody's running away with it uh mandel kind of you know he has what all the name recognition poll? in the world what's that what third Traf party poll trafalgar so but wasn't that i thought trafalgar was done on behalf of mandel or or um uh that could be. I, I didn't see that. I, I got it straight from his website, but that could be. Um, but it, it seems to be, you know, he has all the name recognition. He was the straight state treasurer. He he lost against Sherrod Brown. He's stuck at that 20% level. Doesn't seem like he's that's growing. But nonetheless, it just seems like this is a wide open race. So what kind of what is your plan? What, what do you view your path to getting in that mix where you have, uh, you know, come May, you know, we're a little four and a four and a half months away or so from the primary. How do you envision getting up there and then having a, a chance to unseat or, or, you know, take down a Mandel or a Vance or a Temkin? So um, we've got four months and they're going to be very, four very important months. Uh, the more people that stay in, the better my chances. 
because, you know, the number of votes you need to win if seven, six or seven people are in the race is a lot less than if there are two people in the race. I mean, that's Great. just dramatic. Yeah. And I will tell you that I'm the only candidate going to rural counties and understanding what their issues are. And, and they are angry at people like Rob Portman who don't come see them. They're angry at their reps who only come see them when he or she needs a vote and then abandons them on things like broadband, on things like, you know, 5G cellular and, and all of that to make things better. Working with FEMA and others to get these ridiculous floodplain and flood insurance requirements out of the way. I mean, I could probably win this thing just taking all the rural counties if seven people stay in. But I think that that what we're seeing is a, is a great deal of momentum building now because we're getting a lot of earned media that we weren't getting before. We're starting. So, so this past week, we got attacked by Mandel surrogates, including Jenna Ellis, and she just got buried. Jenna Ellis. Yeah. What, what did she say? Well, she came out about, you know, this, I, I'm an anti-Semitic uh, because I called out the fact that Josh is Jewish. Well, would, would, would Josh be anti-Christian if he called me a Christian? And that's all I did. Uh, but Josh is, is, is playing the televangelist going to these evangelical churches and doing this thing. And, and we called him out on it. And we had this Josh Bing, Josh Mandel bingo thing at the last, uh, Senate forum that the Ohio Press Network held, Jack Windsor, and he stopped it now, right? So we called him on it and he stopped it. So it must, you know, it's an act, it's a facade, it's this whole caricature thing. And uh, it's it's really interesting. And then Bernie Moreno, he and his surrogates are coming after us because Bernie has lied like three or four times. He's lied about this never Trump thing, and he doubled down. He literally sat there in a Senate forum and said, go watch the video. You go watch the video 2019. 2019, he said, I became a Trump supporter the minute he got elected. And in 2019, he's smugly laughing about the fact that my daughter works on the Trump campaign, but me, <laughs> I'm a different story. You just have to go watch the, I mean, don't trust me. Trust your own eyes. And then there, there are uh, other things about like election integrity and did Trump really win or not that he's, he's just literally there's Twitter posts that say this and he's that. saying this now, right? I saw your so, post on that. So he's just lying about this stuff. Okay. He's dishonest. I, you know, I don't know what you do with that. Like how, how can you do anything but say, Here's the information. Mike, Dane, take a look at it. What do you think? Right? You know, I, I have to say the Mandel thing, right, is Mandel is Jewish and he grew up in Beachwood. And and look, I Barry Goldwater, one of my favorite politicians, was a, a Jewish American. There's nothing. Love Barry yeah, it, it's Love not him. about religion and it's not about it's it's not that at all. But you're right. He does pretend to be like this Baptist fundamentalist Southern Christian when that's not him. I don't know if you've noticed, but Mandel has been speaking with a Southern accent, right? Right. 
in, in, yeah, in, in rural Ohio, there's no, there's really not a Southern accent in rural Ohio. Yeah. A little bit around Kentucky right. in, in, in Cincinnati. That exists. So who does that remind you of? It just, it's very fake. It reminds Hillary me of Hillary Clinton. Clinton. Yeah. Kamala Harris. Yes. Yes. Right? yes. Hillary yeah. Clinton. I don't, what, 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 like, where yeah. does that come from? So here's the thing. Here's one of the things we need to talk about. A 21 point policy guide. Yes. All right. Mandela's out there with all this red meat, never talks about policy. Very few of my opponents talk about policy. Why? They don't want to have to put a stake in the ground, I believe, and say, here's what I believe. This is 21 points. I did it. Sorry, it's upside down. It's it's dog-eared because I'm in it a lot, showing it to people. We did this because people were stealing my stuff. All right. So we decided we're putting the stake in the ground. You can go back, watch when we released it. We know the timing. 21 issues that are important to Ohioans. This is my written commitment to voters. Nobody else has done this. This is the way I'll think. This is the way I'll act. This is the way I'll vote. This is the way I'll legislate. This is the way I'll negotiate. And if, if I don't, you get to call me on it. You get to come to my office and wring my neck. And, and nobody else has done this. I mean, I, will, I can bore people to death with policy discussions and numbers. My, my campaign team says, Mark, please stop building the watch on policy. Just net it out. But I love this stuff because this is what legislators do. See, Mike DeWine sucks at policy, which is why he sucked as a senator and sucks as a governor. But he wasn't a bad attorney general because yeah. he's okay with that. But he sucks at policy. And, and, and so this is, this is a big differentiator for us. They can, people can go to mark the number four, Ohio.com mark the number four, Ohio.com slash policy and see this, but I'd like them to have a copy of it because it is a massive differentiator for us. So yeah. on that topic and Michael, if you had a question, I mean, no, go you right it then. where are you different on policy? than other republicans like where here's here's the crowd as you're here's the here's mark right here's everybody else where do you separate if you had to pick like a one or two issues where you're like i'm on this on policy and everybody else is over here where is it what I, are those issues i don't know if it's so much that as so i've written this down and i've said this is what i believe in Everybody else will say they believe in this stuff and then go to Washington and then do something different. But they don't write it down and they don't say it so no one can nail them to the wall. And, and people need to be nailing politicians to the wall, including me, if I do something that isn't what I said I was going to do. Now, I will tell you that there are some provocative and creative things in here that other politicians would probably not uh, want to talk about or not want to uh, engage voters with or engage opponents with uh, in a conversation. And I, I'm going to try to find one. Like, um, uh, So we need a positive America first merit-based immigration system. 
we've got to get away from this lottery nonsense that we've got. And for example, I think right now, as a business person, we should be literally selling Australians who are highly educated entrepreneurs, maybe they've got high net net worth, bring them to the U.S. on a special program and get them out from under that tyranny there, right? (laughs) Bring the best and the brightest. I I don't think my, 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 uh, uh, my opponents would even think about that, let alone talk about it, because it could be somewhat controversial, right? Oh, you're going to leave the poor people from here, there, and all that. Yeah, I am, actually. I'm sorry, but it's America first. And then, um, uh, let's see. I, I just, I'm just going to go here. I'm trying to find uh, oh, national constitutional carry. Very few people will talk about that. And ending the folly of gun-free zones, right, in, like, colleges and places like that. If you're going to have a gun-free zone, you better have metal detectors. People don't want to talk about those kind of things. I mean, the gun rights people do. They're like, that makes sense. But these are controversial issues that a lot of my opponents won't want to talk about. Um, The other, I mean, the other thing, and this is very simple. We need to be talking 10 times more about cutting spending than we are about what our tax policy is. Agreed. Talking about tax policy is a, a shiny metal object. It's the, oh, look, a squirrel kind of thing. Rob Portman, for example, talking about lowering taxes at the same time, he's voting for the quote-unquote bipartisan infrastructure bill and adding to the deficit, right? This is absurd, right? So, and, and I, I will, cre- here's the difference between them and me when it really comes down to it. I think we need to be criticizing people within our own party who aren't doing the right thing. We've got to stop this kind of group think kumbaya kind of stuff because our party has been ruined by the fact that we won't call out misbehavior and bad policy. We need to do that. And we need to clean up our own house. I like to say before we go demolish theirs. And this is contentious, it's provocative, it's, you know, it's a big contrast, but it's what we need. It's what Donald Trump did. Now, I'm no Donald Trump, no name recognition like him, no money like him, but I think the thinking is the same. We've got to have honest discussions about these topics. So I... um Donald Trump, you're right that Donald Trump challenged the a, a, what I would call calcified party establishment. So, for example, um, you that's know, right. That, that's right above fossilized, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, that's, that's pretty good. Uh, but like the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, those were total disasters and failures right. of American right. foreign policy. They took our our best and brightest sent them home in body bags for what? Like, look at Afghanistan, the Taliban occupies it. We spent a trillion dollars there, right? And and the mission, if you read the Afghan papers, which is really crazy, it's like, we're trying to teach things like women's rights to villages where they don't even have functioning water or electricity. It's like, what, what are we doing? So Trump called that out. He got shit upon by the party elites for that, but he was totally right. And that's why he got a lot of people loyal. Immigration, right? You know, people forget Donald Trump was the candidate of the Muslim ban. Right. Donald Trump was the candidate of building the wall. I mean, 
That's what the left said, but it wasn't a Muslim ban. Well, that's what it originally was. He watered it down and he kind of took some step. No, back. no, but it wasn't 15. actually. So, so I'm going to, I'm going to have, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take uh, exception to that. It was all of the countries that had poor vetting of people or, or non-existent vetting. So we didn't know what their backgrounds were. Yeah. And, and that's, that's what it was in policy, but that's what? not what it was originally when he proposed the idea in 2015. No, um, I, I think we need to go back and look at that. Okay. Yeah, his exact a long quote time, yeah. was a total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States until our country's representatives can figure out what the hell is going on. That was the actual quote. And then the policy was – and it's a justifiable policy, right? It, it was affecting countries like Eritrea, Kyrgyzstan, um, you know, Eritrea, Sudan. Eritrea is like a disaster. Yeah, and, and that makes sense, right? These countries – we shouldn't be bringing in people from like Somalia or Sudan or Syria – I, I Meanwhile, we let like two Australians in that are bringing millions of dollars with them and have built, you know, multi hundred million dollar companies. But Mark, you got to be careful with that because the problem with letting in people and I like the idea of specialized for Australia. I think that's that's clever. But if you let people buy their way into the country, what you get are. No, like no, very, that's not what I said. That is okay. not what I said. OK, that's good. That's good. So you, Canada you, did that with Hong Kong. Bring exactly. Your 50 grand and buy a strip shopping center and you're good. And, and actually that worked out OK with for them. That's not what I said, though. OK, what I said fair. was we should be taking those people that are literally under tyranny, taking their best and brightest and relieving them from that tyranny. I didn't say money. OK, no. I said entrepreneurs and highly educated people. Now, now I just talked about the, the money thing and all the rest. But it was like, you know, we bring two people and we expect them to have all these resources before they come. Right. So so that was a play on you'll you must come, but you can't be a load on our 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 social welfare system. So we let in two Australians that bring, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars with them and then two uh, like 900,000 people that are going to suck off our social welfare systems, right? Our 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 entitlement systems forever and bring their families with chain migration. I mean, this is absurd. Yeah. <laughs> totally agree. Totally agree. Okay. I'm glad we're on the same plane there. Yeah. 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 Now, I'm not, I'm not saying someone should be able to buy their wind to the country, but I don't know. I got to think about that. Maybe that works. Uh, well, the problem is that Vancouver is like essentially a colony of, of China right now. Right. Um, but what's wrong with that? Uh, because you, you have, you have areas within your country, right. That with very, you know, only surface loyalty, if you're just buying citizenship, well, um, if, oh, if so Canada were to go to war yeah. with China, the CCP right now, I, I really legitimately would be concerned about Vancouver. And the U.S. has, you know, we found a lot of these Chinese nationals when we bring them into the United States, they're spying and they're filtering technology back to the Chinese. Yeah. So, and, and one more point, and then I'll pause here. The problem with like saying you only have high value immigration to a country is like if you look at like the H-1B visa program, right, where you're bringing in tech workers that discourages the American tech worker of every race, color, and creed, and it holds their wages down. Like a Google or an Apple or a big company will bring in somebody from India, and they'll keep the baseline pay down, and it's it's really like an anti-labor tool. Okay, so, so, that, so yeah. that is a problem of the program. 
because if the prob if the program was being enforced with prevailing wage provisions and things like that, that wouldn't be allowed, and Google and those people would be getting fined, big fines. Instead, it's smaller companies around the country that transfer a visa here and there that make a mistake that gets screwed. And it's because Google and Facebook and those people know how to work the system, have the right lawyers, and pay off the right politicians. If, in fact, immigration programs like the H-1B program were enforced the way they should be, this would not be happening because the legislation was put in place and the regulations to keep it from happening. But they get this advantage because they're insiders. And and I know a lot about this because I was in the IT business and it was all people and staffing and sure. we transferred visas and all the rest. And we heard the horror stories of people wanting to get out of Silicon Valley because they were being used and abused like indentured servants by Google and Facebook and others. And, 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 and the government is the only entity to blame because they, they didn't enforce the rules and regulations of the program. And it's why we need smaller government because they can't do anything right they literally can't do anything right. We need the smallest government possible to do what Alexis de Tocqueville said. He loved our federal government because it was like, and these are my words, a thin web of connection between these different states that perfected this union because it, it didn't become and hadn't become a bureaucracy like Europe. And now we've got that bureaucracy. I mean, he, he foretold exactly what was going to happen to us, and we let it happen, and we've got to stop it. Um, fair. I think we should just get rid of the program completely. I, I just don't think we need to. I'd be program. okay with that, too. The, yeah, I'd be I okay think, with that too. Um, right. you know, let's just, if, they, if they're prone to abuse, just get rid of them. Sorry, Michael, I know you had a question. I'll, no, I'll no that's fine. It, it'll be my last question. And it ties to your policy handout on your website. It's number seven related to jobs and opportunity. So bear with me. This might be a little long winded, but I th it's important <laughs> for somebody like me from Youngstown. So 2020 census comes out a few months back. Two metro areas in the state really saw any noticeable growth. So your backyard, Columbus, 12, 12.5% uh, increase in population. Cincinnati, 5.6% population growth. The rest of the state, stagnant or population loss. Toledo, Youngstown, Cleveland, Akron, Canton, Dayton. So I guess my concern is you know, those areas are doing well and the rest of the state falling behind. And, and as a U.S. senator, what would you do in Washington to support the growth of the rest, the, the entire state? My concern is more federal funding is going to be funneled into those two metro areas, which could further inhibit growth in the rest of the state. What would you do to support the growth of the entire state? And I know this might be a better question for a, a gubernatorial candidate, but still a senator no. uh, has some say. Uh, that's a fair question. Okay, so – what I can do as a U.S. senator is get level the playing field with the rest of the world in terms of trade deals so it's as attractive to be here or more attractive to be here as a U.S. company looking at, 
at spotting a new manufacturing facility as it is for them to take it to China, right? And what am I talking about? I'm talking about environmental regulations. China has none. Uh, workers' rights regulation. China has none. Civil rights regulations. China has none. You know, you can go down the list. I mean, look at the Paris Accord. They were left out of it until 2030, where we were supposed to do all the heavy lifting, and they in India are the biggest polluters. So we got to level the playing field. Two, we got to get rid of specious regulations that make it virtually impossible for businesses to, to make a sound business decision to cite more manufacturing here. We've got 175,000 pages of regulations in Washington that Donald Trump, even with his nation effort to get rid of them because he was fought by the deep state every step of the way, made massive progress with very small regulation increases. If you look at those hundred and you really study those 175,000 pages, they are often conflicting within the same agency or department which ties businesses up in these administrative courts that are part of the Administrative Procedure Act, something very few people know about, the APA of 1946. Justice Kavanaugh wrote a great book on it. I would recommend you guys read it. It's called A Republic If You Can Keep It. And he talks about how the APA and this administrative state have just hamstrung us in terms of everything, environmental courts. There's all these courts where these judges are appointed, there's no due process, there's no jury by your peers, and there's no right to a speedy trial. They grind you down, and then after they grind you down and they take all your money, they say, oh, well, you can appeal this to the regular court system. It, it's an absolute kind of um, Politburo apparatchik kind of thing. So we gotta, we've got to stop that. The other thing we need to do at the federal level is we've got to get the tax code into line with making us competitive so American companies want to repatriate their earnings from foreign entities back to the U.S. so they have money to invest. in. in so I could see us saying, hey, if you bring that money back and you invest it in um, – manufacturing facilities here, facilities that make things, that add value to our economy, your your tax rate will be X, right? Milton Friedman was is real was really clear on this and I'm I'm a big fan of Milton Friedman. He basically said if you're not producing things, you're not making products, then you don't really have a good solid economy. A services economy is is really not an economy. You've got to have those hard assets. So a services business has no hard assets, right? And, and it's why I loved being in that business because during a downturn, we we had very little fixed expense. It was all people. But in manufacturing, you've got hard assets. You've got machines. You've got facilities. You've got you know vehicles. You've got all this stuff, this infrastructure, and it it is valuable and the products, its ability to to build those products is valuable. And we're seeing it now with COVID. PPE, pharmaceuticals, mm-hmm. uh, m- uh, microprocessors. I, the one 
extravagance I've literally had in my life was when I sold my business, I thought to myself, I want to buy one of the new mid-engine Corvettes. I ordered it in December of 2019. I just got it in November. Holy cow. Right? Because of microprocessor issues. Right? Yeah. And Taiwan is virtually the, the world's hub for semiconductor manufacturing now. And with that tension with China, we're in that that would be big trouble. Right? So so I'm the guy who's saying rather than repositioning our troops in Europe to the border, like Bernie Moreno said, we need to be repositioning them to the Asia Pacific region. We need to make the Europeans like the Russia threat is so small compared to what it was. And the Europeans have a lot of money. Yeah. Right. That we that they've been sucking off the American teeth for so long. Make them pay for it. And we need to we need to start building that same kind of NATO alliance in the Pacific Rim area with India, with Singapore, with Taiwan, with Thailand, with these countries that that are absolutely targets for the Chinese. And and to me, these are just common sense solutions and no one else is talking about them because they're somewhat controversial. They go against the grain in terms of of like the Democrats. It's all about it's all about uh, Russia. Russia spent here. Here's an interesting thing. Russia spent about one hundred thousand dollars on Facebook ads to throw the election for Trump. But Mark Zuckerberg spent three hundred million dollars on elections that we now see where, where the money uh, today, I saw something, I forget what it was from, the New York Times, Washington Post, Washington Examiner, where where uh, blue counties got much more money than red counties and swing states from Mark Zuckerberg. $300 million versus $100,000. And we're worried about Russia having an impact on our, our elections. The people are having, you know, our, our enemies... You know, we talk about enemies, foreign and domestic. We have more domestic enemies right now, and we need to stop that. I agree with that message overall. I think I don't give a damn about the borders of Ukraine. If anybody spends five minutes studying the history of the region, they'll tell you that Ukraine has never had definitive borders. They've always been in flux. And I'm going to tell you, they're always going to be in flux, okay? The country doesn't have a natural dividing line between Russia and the rest of Ukraine, right? It, it's it's constantly been shifting, even when they was part of the Soviet Union, right? Um, so I agree with you. I don't, I don't think a single American drone, let alone human life, should be spent defending the borders of Ukraine. Like, this is what, this is, Mark, let me, let me close by just giving you a message. I think a message that would resonate with people is the American Republic is falling apart. Our country, is, and I'm a victim of this, 46% of American adults are obese, right? We don't have an industrial base anymore. M- millions of our fellow citizens are addicted to heroin. The number one cause of death for people aged 80, 18 to 45 are fentanyl overdoses. Our country yep. is dying. We're rotting inside. It's like it's like a really big tree with a hollowed out core. And these neocons and these GOP politicians who think like, oh, you know, the most important issue is, you know, what's going on in Ukraine and whether the capital gains tax rate should be 25% or 30%. It's just, 
it, it, we don't have time for that anymore. It seems so frivolous. So I, I like a lot of what you're saying. And, and I think that, I think you got the right mentality and I would close first of all, by thanking you for being on the show. You're welcome. And, yes, and, you. but, but second of all, look, if the Senate race doesn't pay off, I, I like the mentality, go big or go home, focus on like the Ohio Republican party and just start breaking things there because we have a very weak decadent and corrupt establishment in Ohio. And I think they're easily topable. We just need people with resources and with money who are willing to stand up and just break shit. And so, I think they'll fall apart. So that's yeah. my message to you. Like, look, good luck in the Senate race. But if that doesn't work, like, don't just retire and go home, right? I think there's yeah. still a path for Mark. Yeah, anyway. that's that, and that's not going to happen. And I, I do want to say, and we didn't talk about it, that we've already announced that we're going to take the Ohio Republican Party back. Two things. One, you get registered, you get ballot access, you prove it to us. No matter where you are, you're the first one in your district. We give you $250 to run and go buy some yard signs or mailers. On top of that, we're going to take a number of districts, and this is all out on the web, you can see it, I'm not just making this up. We're gonna take a number of districts where there are problematic uh, uh, state central committee people right now, and we're gonna find pairs of people, a male and a female to run, and we're gonna pay for mailings for them. Because you know those districts are huge, right? They are, yeah. They're three yep. Senate districts, they map to the, uh, 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 they, they uh, excuse me, they're, Senate districts, right? So, so there are three House districts. So they yep. map to the House. Yeah, and it's impossible to have a door-to-door door knock. I mean, you can, but you'd have to have the same kind of infrastructure that, like, a U.S. rep would have. And you're going for a position that's not paid. It's kind of a volunteer position, but I'm putting my personal money behind that. And, and so we're already working on that in what we call making Ohio better than leaving Ohio better than we found it during the campaign. So I'm doing two things. I'm running as a candidate and I'm already starting that activist uh, movement. And, and we're ha we, we, we've done it with education. That was the first effort. Beating Ohio Republican um, corruption, Ohio Republican Party corruption is number two. Taking out those people who have been there forever that are bought off and paid for by Mike DeWine, stopping primary endorsements, stopping endorsements of the sitting state central committee members of themselves. All this stuff is out there. We've been talking about it. But more than that, we are going after the people who are just corrupt in Ohio Republican politics, Dave Joyce being one of them. We, I just posted some things today. All of this stuff is out there. If people had the time and the the uh, ability to go do the searching, it's all out there in plain sight. The corruption is being done right in front of us, and we're going to bring it to a screeching halt in Ohio. And I would hope we would be a model for other states where this is going on, for them to take their 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 state Republican Party back. The reality is, look, countries don't have to be perfect. Adam Smith, a guy I'm sure you're a fan of, once yep. said there, there's yep. a lot of ruin in a nation, right? So, yep. you know, the, people get dismayed because everything's not perfect. It doesn't need to be. It just needs right. to be better than we found it. I really, really like that phrase. Right. Um, so 
that's uh, that's my yeah that's i think that's smart i really think that's smart and i think that if you do that and you focus and you group up with other people you'll do well like i, I think that um just it's the uh, from my little time that i've spent dealing with republican politics on um, just the establishment is detested and it's not only detested but i think people are done with the wine and they they just want him and everybody associated with him out and they want a fresh slate that's my take and it's sad because i think there are a lot of good people that are kind of caught in the middle of that um and but i think people are just ready to clean house i feel like that's coming and there's going to be a big upturning but it it wasn't like all of a sudden so there's a cause and effect here and the cause is that those people in those positions abused those positions, didn't do their job, weren't ethical, didn't have character and principles or slid away from them and then started believing that it was their job to tell grassroots voters how to vote, who to vote for, what to do, where to send their money. Right. And now now the grassroots is saying time out. We're not buying that anymore. And it really it's really surprising to me how thin skinned some of these people are. They come off like bullies, but the minute you call them on something, they're, they're just crybabies. And, and we are going to continue to call them on these things. We are con- going to continue to focus on this because you are correct. Grassroots Republican voters are done with this. They're done with the wine. And it's like these, these kind of these these pilot fish, the remora on a, a shark, they're they're taking the scraps still from this shark, Mike DeWine, but that shark isn't eating, and he that shark is getting skinnier and skinnier. I mean, let's face it, Mike DeWine can't function without Fran beside him. It's it's creepy. Yeah. Okay. It's really <laughs> I've never creepy. thought about that. I got I haven't seen Mike DeWine speak at an event in the past year or two without Fran right beside him. It's like she's the ventriloquist with the hand up his back. Go take a look. I mean, I know, I, I know I'm making it somewhat comical, but it's actually kind of creepy. And it's like, you don't see Ron DeSantis doing that. And if I did it, if I took my fiance up there, if Joe Blystone took Jane up there, if Jim Renacci took his wife up there, Right. If any of us that are running, right, took our wives up there, people would be saying we were like weirdos. But it's okay for Mike DeWine to do it. It's I, a weird thing. And here's I have the other to fully discuss that. Wait, I have here's the other thing that's happening. I have her cookbook. Yeah, why, uh, it's why a nice cookbook. doing it now. People are starting to do it like Mike DeWine. It's the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. <laughs> I have her cookbook. I can't. I, I. I can't. I can't go there with you. I'm sorry. I have her cookbook, and they sent me a little softball for my kids. So I. But you know, now that you said that, I have noticed that. But I'm. I'm not going to comment yeah, anymore. She I'm is always behind them. She is always behind them. Yes. Right. That's fair. That's, that's fair. It's. It's like. Everybody knows I suck, but you all like Fran because she had the cookbook. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. That is good. All right. all right. Well, thank you so much, Mark, you guys for are joining us. Uh, yeah. Pukita for Senate2022.com. I have it yeah. up. But yeah. for those who will tune in ultimately to the podcast, please check it out. 
like Mark mentioned during the the show, find that policy guide because well, how many do you have? Twenty two. I, I, I twenty one. Twenty one. Okay. Um, different policy. You, you pretty much hit everything. Where a lot of politicians, their websites might hit two or three things. You literally go deep into the weeds on every single issue, which is good because I agree with you. I think we need somebody out there who understands the the policy side of things. Uh, so I respect that quite a bit. So best of luck to you. Thanks. Uh, and we'll, uh, we'll we'll see what transpires. Like I said, I think it's a, it's a wide open race and anything could happen. So best wishes what, to you. See if you can get the rest of the Senate candidates to come on with you along with me at the same time. We'll have a okay. little, little, <laughs> That'd be great. little coffee. I would love it. Kind of thing. There's been three others who've reached out, but maybe I could see yeah. if I'm making something like that happen. I'd love if it. If you need any help with any of them, I'm in, I'm in pretty regular touch with most of them. Let me know. I can pressure them a little bit. Appreciate uh, it. Yeah, I mean, it, it, we do have a good relationship as we're at events and on the campaign route. Mm-hmm. I hate saying trail; it sounds so weird. Can't, I'm on the campaign trail, <laughs> uh, but but we do know each other, and I think we respect each other. But you know, this is a blood sport. This is like MMA. Uh, I think there's a bit of MMA to it. You know, you beat the crap out of each other. You get out, you're bleeding. You don't really like each other. And the next day it's like, ah, he's not that bad. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Um, but it's, uh, it's been great to be on with you guys. I really appreciate it. I wish everybody, you and your families, Merry Christmas, a great yes. new year. Stay safe. Yep. God bless you. God bless America. Yep. Merry, Merry Christmas, Christmas to you too. as well. And with that, we'll, we'll end it. Take care, everybody. Merry Christmas. We'll see you. Thank you. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Uh, Yes, sir.